Heart Church. We're going to declare the joy of the Lord this morning. So would you stand with us as we sing? Yeah. 
Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 talks about how two are better than one. For if one falls down, the other is there to pick him up. And let that be our anthem this morning, church, as we walk through struggles and battles, we're there alongside each other, lifting each other up.
We're going to try that again. Difficulty. The devil does not want us he doesn't to want sing, to sing this sing next it. song, folks. This song's going to be about talking about being in the presence of God in the hymn of heaven. And how I long to breathe the air of heaven. The pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. To look upon the one who bled to save me. Walk with him for all eternity.
bread of life, chief cornerstone, the first and the last. The breadth of your character and your person, Lord, is so, so vast that we, we've got all these names to try to describe how great you are. And that, Lord, you are near, as near as the breath of our lungs. Let's praise him this morning. Spirit of Jesus, living within us, never to
Lord, we know that the power of your name has the power to heal, to redeem, to save. We just want to call upon every heart in this place, God. Do your mighty work, Lord. And not to us, God, but to your name be the glory. Help me out, church. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus over everyone in this room. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to bleed Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus
in the morning and he's wide-eyed and awake and he can't sleep staring up at the ceiling again. It's a bit of a regular occurrence now. It happens three to four times a week. He can't sleep. Like an irrigation system that is set to the wee hours the more he tri-weekly, it turns on and he can't sleep. It doesn't make sense, really. He has a perfect life. He has everything going for him. He's living better than most of his contemporaries. 90% of the people at the time live on the outskirts of the city in villages and in huts. But the one percenters, they get to live in the city. They're called city dwellers in presidential suite-like accommodations for the first century. So why? Can he sleep? In those days, the majority of people in society worked with their hands. Toiling land, farmers without the wonderful modernized equipment of today that makes things easy. But this man had not one callus on his beautifully manicured hands. So why can't he sleep?
In those days, there were people who were either day workers or, or, or they were maybe lucky enough to be farmers themselves who hired day workers, but even the farmers would have to lease land from the landowners and, and put themselves up for these high-rent mortgages, leases, uh, to try to produce and toil with the land, hoping that at the end of the season, if the rains come, there'd be a large crop and it might be lucrative. And there was those who leased the land. They didn't, weren't dependent upon the rains coming and they weren't dependent upon whether it was a good crop season or not. They were gonna be paid regardless. They were the one percenters. They were the city dwellers. One group praying that it makes sense to go into this business negotiation dealing with high rent, high interest. And one group not worried at all about whether it's famine, or whether it's a season of plenty. These one percenters, they ruled the world with two pockets. In one pocket, they had the civil authorities, uh, the, the, the governors of the day who kept on passing laws, taxation laws and real estate laws that made it so uh, easy to stay in their position. They even had these laws that on years where there was plenty and there was a lot of rain that came down and the crop was bigger than anybody had imagined, that they could tax the crop as landowners. But there weren't laws on the other side when the famine came and those farmers who had mortgaged themselves to farm the land had no crop to pay back the mortgage on the lease. The other pocket was the religious leaders of the day, they were in their pocket too. And the religious leaders, the priests of the day, they were profitable when the times where everybody was living under subsistence and, and, and the working classes rise up and there's a mob-like mentality, how do we squash them from, from, from taking over the world? Well, that's where the priests would come in. You see, they could tell them because they were literate and the working class was illiterate, if you continue on this path, you will not have the favor of God on your side. One pocket, civil authorities, taxation laws, real estate laws, rental, favorable rental mortgage laws. The other pocket, the religious leaders, priests who would come alongside and convince the crowds If you were a one percenter, he had a good life. So why can't he sleep? Everything's stacked for you. So why can't he sleep? Well, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. In case you're new to us, I'm the lead pastor here at Camarillo Community Church, and we are just glad you're here. I want to welcome you if you're in the building today, if you're out in the patio today, welcome as well. Uh, you may be online right now. Maybe a friend invited you to check out our church, and so you're checking us out for the first time. And uh, we want to say welcome to you as well. And you might be in our new uh, worship room video venue, checking us out there uh, and taking the experience in there. We want to welcome you. We want to say welcome to everybody here. I like to do this thing where 
I kind of hang out with people. I'll be out in the patio afterwards. If you're new to me and I'm new to you and I haven't had a chance and I'm not talking to anybody, please feel free to come on up and say hello. I love, I do a lot of writing of cards, write a lot of people. I love being able to put a face with a name as well. Uh, uh, and so you can do that with me on the patio afterwards. Well, welcome. We've been in a series that we're calling All In, and uh, it's really investigating the topic that seemed very important to Jesus Christ. So important to Jesus Christ that he spoke about it more than he spoke about heaven and hell combined. Uh, it's the topic of wealth and how uh, it has ramifications on our spiritual journey and our spiritual lives, on our faith journey. The interesting thing about Jesus is he wasn't in need. He wasn't asking for people's money. But he did understand that a concept of wealth and understanding of wealth can affect spiritual things. And so he spoke about this a lot. And so uh, today, as we set up with the opening narrative, we're going to explore an account of a young man who seems to have everything by worldly standards but approaches Jesus feeling empty. What will we learn about how earthly success can impact our spiritual devotion to God? How can wealth on earth impact the realities of heaven? And what are the drawbacks of success? And on the other side, what opportunities does success offer us as well? And so we're going to look at that together in your Bibles in Mark chapter 10. I hope you'll turn there right now. Hopefully you brought a Bible with you. Open it up or open up your phone. If you're on a computer right now, open up another window. And let's look at Mark chapter 10. We'll look at verses 17 through 31 together. I'm going to read the whole thing. And if you don't have a Bible, be on the screen for you to read along. It says this, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. And he said this to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Might be a good place to highlight, circle, or underline. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have, give the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said them again. Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. At this, they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them. With man, it is impossible with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything for you and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not inherit 100-fold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. I like to, I don't usually start this way, but I entitled this message, When Money Becomes Your God. 
when money becomes your God, and it seems to be appropriate because here's a gentleman who comes and says, I just want to know how to get to heaven, and Jesus kind of looks at his heart, gives him an idea of what it would take, and then he goes, no, I can't do that because my money means too much to me. The passage today we're looking at has to do with the idea of how our wealth can affect our relationship with God. In fact, it's our question today, how does our wealth affect our relationship with God? And the first thing we see is that it can divert us from the most important thing. It can divert us from what is most important in life. Here's a gentleman, comes to Jesus, sees that he's spiritual. I, I, I want to know how to get to the next level and the next, uh, the next realm. And, 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 and because of the interaction, he's diverted from what is most important and realizes, man, I can't go do that. I have too much of what I love over here. He seems to be a man of great standing that approached Jesus. According to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he was rich. According to Matthew, he was young. According to Luke, he was a ruler. Somehow, this young man has gotten uh, uh, fairly quickly moved up in the world and became part of that one percenter kind of a group. A young and rich, it's rare. Think uh, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, a guy 22 years old, builds a program and all of a sudden owns the world. That, that's what we got going on here. And he knows enough to know that Jesus seems to be of the character and quality uh, different than all the priests that he knows. Jesus seems to be higher than them. Jesus seems to be more knowledgeable about spiritual things. And he, so he goes up to him and in flattery says to him, good teacher. And Jesus doesn't just accept that. He goes, wait, 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 you're calling me good teacher? Why am I good? Why do you call me good? You do realize that there's only one who is good, right? That'd be God and God alone. Are you ready to call me God? Are you ready to submit to me as being God? Are you ready to give me authority as God over your life? And right away, he starts kind of you know, poking holes in what the young man is saying to him. Do you really think I'm good? Well, the young man doesn't know how to do all that, so he just flips right to his answer. I came to you because I just want to know how to inherit eternal life. I figured out this world on the earth, and I figured it out quite well. And I'd like to figure out the, the, the world on the other side so I could have both the earth figured out and the spiritual realm figured out. What is happening in the temporal, I figured out. I want to have it figured out in the eternal as well. And what do I need to do? Just tell me what I need to do. I'll do whatever it is. And by the way, all my buddies, we have, we have priests in our pockets already anyway. I, I just, if I could go and tell them that Jesus Christ says that I'm going to heaven, are you kidding me? Nobody can say that because Jesus standing up against the religious leaders. I've got the religious Leaders in my pocket, I'm in their pockets, and I want to be in your pocket too. Tell me what I need to do to get there. Now, this is quite ironic because if we had somebody come up to us and say, hey, how do I get to heaven? We might go, oh, well, we need to pray right now. Pray after, after whatever I say, you say, Jesus Christ on the earth, uh, three days later, rose again. I believe in this. I confess with my mouth. And we would lead them through this prayer. Boom, you're saved. Or maybe we'd take them through the four spiritual laws or the Romans road or pray this prayer with me. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes, well, you, you're a good, devout Jewish person. You know the Ten Commandments. And he literally starts rehearsing them for him. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Honor your mother and father. Takes him through and he says, you know the standards of God. And the young man says something amazing. I've been doing those since I was a little boy. 
Is that all it takes? Because I'm done. I've got it figured out. Now, interestingly here, Jesus lists one of the Ten Commandments as do not defraud. That's not actually one of the Ten Commandments. It may be kind of a pivot from do not covet or do not steal. Those are Ten Commandments. But it's almost like he's catering them to this young man. Do not defraud. It's almost like he's leading into this idea that the rich often got rich using unethical means. It's like he's hunting for the heart of the young man right there. He's catering to the young man and his issues. And instead of catching it and going, man, I've got some deficiency within myself before God, he goes, I've been doing all those things. So I'm in. I just need you to tell me I'm in. Then I can go to all my buddies and tell them I'm in, not only because of these priests, but because of Jesus. Jesus said it. Teacher, all these things I've observed for myself, it's in the middle voice since I was a young man. Now this is something that tripped him up that can also trip a lot of us up as well. We struggle with the same thing. And that is the notion that in and of ourselves, we believe that we can personally earn a passing grade as it relates to divine expectation over our lives. I think I'm a pretty good person. And then you know what? If I judge by everybody else in the room and what those people are doing over there, I certainly didn't do that over there. And so therefore, I should be okay when I stand before God. I've done it. What he didn't realize is what he was saying to Jesus was, I'm perfect. For anybody to be able to live by the Ten Commandments and do so without ever doing something wrong, that would be a perfect individual. That individual truly wouldn't have to go before God and say, I need some grace and mercy. That individual could say, God, I've lived up to your standard. And so what he wasn't realizing what he was saying is, I'm perfect, Jesus. I've got it all figured out. Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Probably innocent arrogance coming out of the young man, but Jesus doesn't rebuke him. In fact, it says he loved him and he had a heart for him. Probably the same way he would have a heart for anybody in this room who's lost without him as well. But this quickly turns into Jesus helping him see the truth. He wants him to see it and feel it rather than just tell him. Let me tell you what's, I want you to see it and feel it. See, this is almost like an object lesson. I call it like the, the, the Mr. Miyagi approach. You guys ever seen like, uh, you know, Karate Kid? It's like my favorite movie ever. If you haven't, we'll put it on right now. I'll watch it. Yes, we've seen Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi would do that. He's like, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you the story. And at the end, you're like, ha ha, there it is. Right? And this is what Jesus is doing with this guy. And so he says, oh, okay. So you've done everything. You're perfect. You don't have any uh, faults within you. Well, let's prove it. Fine, prove it. Uh, sell everything, give everything away, and come follow me. He does this in verse 21. It says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And then the man, disheartened by what he's saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Three imperatives. Uh, are you really calling me God? You remember that whole good statement? If you're really calling me God, then these imperatives won't be hard to follow because I'm God. I'm a good teacher. Uh, uh, you t- rank yourself underneath. I'm going to give you these commands. Go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. If you really think you're justified by your works, then prove it. Show me that you have no other gods beside me. In essence, what he's saying to the young man is, if you think you're going to buy yourself into this one, I'm actually going to require your heart 
not just your actions. And by the way, if you had the right heart, this wouldn't be a problem for you. You'd be able to give everything away because you understand that you're trading it in for God. But you can't do it. And you can't do it because you have another God beside me. Which, by the way, is one of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God beside me. What he was trying to get the individual to see is, oh my gosh, I haven't followed the Ten Commandments as much as I thought. I'm going to need the grace and mercy of God to be able to be in heaven with him. And that was the Mr. Miyagi Zinger. If I follow the Ten Commandments, I wouldn't have a problem with this because I didn't have another God beside the God that I say I have. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is kind of where the story takes a little bit of a depressing turn. <laughs> Jesus starts talking in ways that, are, that seem kind of hopeless. And in fact, life is hopeless without God. He starts giving this picture. As the guy walks away and the disciples are like, wow, what just happened? And he's sitting there and he goes, oh, let me tell you what just happened. Uh, how hard is it for a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to get to heaven. Whoa. Uh, you've seen an eye of a needle, right? When you sew clothes and that little needle, we put the thread through and you tie a knot and you, and you sew through. That's the eye of a needle. You've seen a camel, right? And this is a very hyperbolic illustration. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. And the disciples are like, what in the world are you saying? At that time, they're thinking, if somebody is rich, then obviously God's blessed them. God, the hand of God is on them. How, if the people who are blessed by God can't get to heaven, then how does anybody get to heaven? Of course, Jesus says to them, you know what? Uh, well, with man, all things are, are not possible. With God, all things are possible. He can actually get you to set aside your idols and other gods and worship him alone. Our God can work in our hearts and break down our walls and make it so he's the most important thing in our lives. It's possible, but it's going to take an act of God for it to happen. It's a deliberately absurd image, a camel going through the eye of a needle, hyperbolic in nature. And, it, and the idea is that wealth can make things blurry for you. Like you begin to think like you have all things together, like, like you're in control, like you're self-sufficient, like you don't need God. I have everything I need, I don't need God. There's a danger to it. And the disciples are shocked. How could the thing that we thought was an advantage become a disadvantage? How could the thing that we thought gave everybody a leg up become like a handicap? And Jesus reminds them, but just remember, all things are possible with God. He can break down those idols. Now, it can be very tempting at this point to read this passage and go, you go get those rich people, Jesus. That's right. I hate them. They should give more. You know? And so you realize that if you own two cars, you're already richer than 95% of the world. And so it's more likely that this passage applies to us than those rich people. Now, as we see here, wealth can have a negative impact on relationship with God, but what is often missed is a proper perspective on wealth can actually have a great future benefit as well. 
How does our wealth affect our relationship with God? Well, number one, it can divert us from things that are most important. It can divert our attention from that which is most important, namely God. And then secondly, it can drive us to what is eternally meaningful. If you have the right perspective and the right understanding, it's simply a tool that drives us to what is eternally meaningful. It can be a wonderful thing to be used for the glory of God. And I want to read Back again, verse 28 to 31, so we can see that it can drive us to what is eternally meaningful. It says this, and Peter said to him, see, we left everything to follow you. Well, man, if if he doesn't get in, well, at least we left everything to follow you. Truly, Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left his house, his brothers, his sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive 100-fold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution in the age to come, eternal life. He'll pay it back. And in that sense, many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. How does our wealth affect our relationship with God? Well, it can drive us to something that's eternally meaningful as well. When we understand that wealth and wealth on earth isn't the be all end all. Like, that's not the goal. That's not, that that, that is a tool along the way, but that's not the goal. That's not the be-all, end-all. That's not the goalpost. That's not the end zone. We understand there's something more to our existence than that. It actually can be very promising of of future blessings. There's going to be a day where there's eternal life where he says, I'll give back a hundredfold whatever you lost. Doesn't seem like anyone's excited about that. I'll give back a hundredfold for whatever you invest in the kingdom of God. So that when those who lived prominently on the earth and they look like they're number one on earth, they'll be last in heaven, but those who lived last on earth and, and they weren't prominent, they'll be number one in heaven. That's what he's saying. The last will be first, the first will be last. It'll be flipped. Because there are those who had a proper understanding of what wealth is and what it's to be used for. And there was those who worshiped it. Eternally, eternity in that sense becomes the great equalizer. You see, it's interesting. Jesus didn't say all these things and all of a sudden take up an offering. That wasn't his goal to get money. His goal was to have people really wrestle with internally, what is their God? Who is their God? He knew that this was so much more tied to discipleship of the heart than it was about whatever money's gonna do on the earth. So we see in this passage, it's really a treatise kind of challenging our perspective on wealth. Negatively, it can divert our attention from things that are spiritually important. Positively, with proper perspective, it can drive us to things that are spiritually meaningful. And and I think I want to take us through and kind of view this in a visual way uh, so we can understand how we can kind of make this uh, um, parallel to our day to day. Uh, There's four different categories of people and their mindsets that we're going to look at as it relates to their wealth. And the first one is the self-absorbed owner. Now, let's look at this one carefully. It says, I have full authority over my stuff. 
I own 100%. Everything I have is mine. I'm the self-absorbed owner. I'm probably very much in that camp that struggles with greed. Like I struggle with ever giving anything away. I want it. It's mine. Uh, I made it on my own. Nobody touched this. That, that, that's the category of the self-absorbed owner. From there, we can leapfrog to the obligated owner. And, and, and we'll look at this one more in detail as well. As we see that I have full authority over my stuff, but I feel obligated, like I really should do some good with it. Uh, like I'm obligated owner. It's still 100% mine. Uh, I struggle with greed too, but, but I really, I feel like I'm obligated to do some good things with it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do some good things, even though it's all mine. It's all mine. But I'm going to try to do some good things with it because I'm the obligator. I'm not as stingy or as greed-founded as a self-absorbed owner. So we have the self-absorbed owner. We have the obligated owner. And then thirdly, and this is kind of the one that we look to as like the epitome. This is the big one. This is the obedient owner. And we'll look at this one kind of closely as well. As this one we see that I will obey what God says I should do with my stuff. All right, so I'm the obedient owner. I will do what God says I should do with my stuff. 90% of it is mine, and 10% is rightfully his. So I'm gonna give him his, and I'm gonna keep mine. Uh, and this is the one that, like, you know, in church life, you know, by the way, there's actually people who do do this. I'm one of these people who, who, who sets aside 10% uh, for the Lord, and, and it's possible to do it. And I've actually had people in our congregation come to me, don't stop teaching it, Dave. Don't stop. Because it was the day that we decided we were going to do that, that we had to organize all our finances. We had to budget everything, vacations, everything. Because that's a big step to do, to give 10% to the Lord. It actually has a trickle-down domino effect for the rest of our finances, and we're doing better off today living off of 90% than I think we ever would have done living off of 100% because we would have made bad choices. And so I actually feel blessed by doing this. Don't stop teaching this. The obedient owner says, I will obey what God says I should do with my stuff. And we think it's like, wow, people who do that are like the epitome. That's the be all end all. And yet it's not. It's not. Uh, there's a fourth one. The, uh, there's the self-absorbed owner, the obligated owner, the obedient owner, and then there's the love-inspired steward. And this is the one that I want to put on the screen, and we'll look at this one more closely and see the nuance difference. I have given God full authority over whose stuff? His stuff. It's all his. 100% of it's his. All of it is his. I'm just using it the way that God has described that I should use it. I'm using it as the tool that God has described the way, I should describe, the way I should use it. It's a tool. It's not my God. He's God, and all of it is his. And so we have the love-absorbed, or the self-absorbed owner, the obligated owner, the obedient owner, and the love-inspired steward. And if we were to be completely honest in this room, I mean completely honest in this room, all of us struggle at one shape or form on one of these realms. Maybe we have moved away from the self-absorbed owner. That's when I was 15. That's when I was 25. I moved away from that. But I'm still over here in this obligated owner camp. Or maybe I've moved to, to the obedient owner. I'm there. Like I give 10%. I give God his and I keep 90% for my. Oh, wait a second. Isn't it all his? And there may be seasons where he asks you to give more than 10%. And there may be seasons in worship where you go, of course I'd give you more. I love you. You're my God, not my money. You've blessed me so much. I'm going to give more. It's all his. 
every one of us can find ourselves on this chart. And the beautiful thing about that is wherever you are, you can take one step of progress. No matter where you are, you can take one step of progress and keep on moving to the goal of saying, you know what, it's all his. And not just saying it, but meaning it and living it. I'm telling you right now, I don't care how godly you think you are, all of us struggle with this desire over what we think is ours. It's inborn in our sin nature. Which brings me to the difficult and challenging big idea, which will be on the screen for you. It says this, that's which you can't part with is your true God. That which you cannot part with is your true God. That which you can't part with is your true God. And that's what this guy found out. I got everything figured out on earth. I want everything figured out. I want my same quality of life that I have on earth. I want it in heaven. What do you need to do, Jesus? Sell everything. Oh, I can't do that. Can't part with that. Oh, well, then that's your God. That which you can't part with is your true God. It's not only true with finance. It's true in many areas of life. Sustenance abuse issue, alcoholism, any addiction. That which you can't part with is your true God. It's an idol for you. It's something that you need to lay aside in submission under the lordship of God. And say he's God. That which you cannot part with is your true God. Let me see if I can illustrate this in a way where we can feel and understand the principle more than just hearing it. Now, I use this, uh, um, certain elements of this story recently in our First Corinthians series, but I just couldn't not use it again because it's so relevant to what we're talking about today. And that is to say, um, uh, my mother came from another country, South America, Colombia, South America, came to the United States for a better life. I, I understood stories about a better life from her all the time. This is why I came from another country. You can own land here. It's a land of opportunity. It's a wonderful country. I'm American. I'm Colombian, proud Colombian, but I'm a proud American too. I'm both. I vote. You know, <laughs> she's she that kind of woman. She just loved America because of the land of opportunity. And, uh, and uh, the last five years of life, she became a little bit like a real estate tycoon. And she became a landlord. And she owned like five properties. And, and then she got cancer and unfortunately passed away. And then I was in charge of liquidating the estate. So I got to sell these properties and the judge and uh, probate and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and finally, when all that stuff was uh, done and cleared and whatnot, there was a, a, a small portion, a, a medium-sized portion of inheritance for my brother and I. Enough for us to be able to put like 20% down on a home. Uh, uh, during that time. And so, and that was her dream. That's what both of us did. You know, we're going to buy a home. That's what she wanted. Land of opportunity, own a home in America. You can own property. And so that would be mom's dream for us. We're going to buy homes. And I remember going through this season as I had this, you know, uh, largest sum of money that I ever got in my life, you know, to that point. And, um, and, and I, I started experiencing these notions in my heart. Like, I just came upon all this non-taxable income. Now, I don't know if the laws have changed since then, but it was non-taxable at the time back then. So I was going to get this money free of tax. There was nothing you could tax on it. It was like an inheritance thing. And so there was no tax. And I started thinking to myself, is this non-taxable? Maybe it's non-titable too. Because, you know, God sits up in heaven worried about our American tax laws. That's how he evaluates, right? Oh, well, they're in America. They don't tax, so that's non-title. And, and I was so, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm going through a lot of mourning. My mom's passing, all these things. It comes in, we want to be able to have her dream in our lives and whatnot. And, and I'm struggling with greed. I'm struggling in that chart. It's, it's really what's going on. I even go to my mentor. I go, you know what, Ted? Ted Montoya, my mentor. 
Uh, I just asked him, like, you know, um, I'm really struggling with this. Like, you know, do I really have to give to the Lord on this? Like, who really gives a tenth back on their inheritance? Let's like, presuppose somebody got a million dollars. I didn't get that. That would have been awesome. I didn't get that. Uh, are they really going to give $100,000 to God? Are they really going to do that, Ted, on their inheritance? Now, I'll never forget his response. Came across gentle, loving, and yet rebuking at the same time. He said to me, you know, David, I'm not sure what people would do in those situations. Some might find it hard to part ways with the money like you're finding it. Some might find it's extra special reason to give back, like they feel like this windfall was God's blessing, and so it's easier for them to give. I don't know. I don't know if they would or if they wouldn't, but it really doesn't matter much what anybody else would do, David. What matters is what you're going to do. You know, it's such a human tactic to deflect attention off ourselves when we don't want to take responsibility or we're bucking against a challenging proposition. And really, it all started in the Garden of Eden. She did it! The notion that what about them is just an excuse for not us not to do what we know is right. And I wonder if this series is kind of like a gut check reminder. Church, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Doesn't matter what they're doing, doesn't matter what they're doing, doesn't matter what they're doing, or are they're doing. What matters is what you're going to do. What matters is where your heart is at. What matters is who is the God in here to you? Because God's not going to evaluate you on this person over there, and God's not going to evaluate you on this person over there. He's going to evaluate you based on this right here. So instead of looking to the side and looking back and forth and looking up and down, just look right there. What are you going to do? If God were to evaluate your discipleship based on how you utilize this tool of wealth, what would he say about where you're at in your discipleship and your worship of God? That which you cannot part with is your true God. That which you can't part with is your true God. You know, we started off this morning with a man who couldn't sleep. And he leaves disappointed because while he sees that there's something more to this life, he's unwilling to run towards it. And he chose to remain empty in his wealth. The question for you is, what will you choose? What will you choose? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close today? If you let me speak to your heart real quick, I just want to let you know that we're not in need. We're not in need. We're literally not in need. God's taking care of us. He's blessed us. We've got wonderful plans for the future. We're hoping he'll bless those. We're not in need. We're talking about this because Jesus talked about it a whole lot. And he seemed to be really concerned about the state of the heart with, as it relates to wealth. And it seems to be a great indicator of the heart. That's why he talked about it so much. And so if you're a guest here, I want to say, we don't want your gifts. Don't worry about that. Let us give you a gift. We want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Once you receive the gift of salvation, then it makes sense for you to give. Because you want to give back to what God has given you everything. Giving you your very spiritual life. And so if that's you here, would you hear me clearly? Place your faith in Jesus Christ. 
his death, his burial, his resurrection. Place your faith in that. I can't make it on my own. I refuse to say that I followed everything and have done all the Ten Commandments and I meet your standard. I don't meet your standard. I need grace. I need mercy. And if he says, if you'll look on my son and place your faith in him, I'll take all of your wrongdoing, place it on Christ. And I'll take all of his righteousness and I'll place it on your account. And you can now live knowing that the God of the universe sees you as perfect no matter what you've done past, present, or in the future. I've made you clean. That's the gospel. It transforms you from the inside out. And when you get a hold of that and you really understand it, you go, man, I want to give back because I want somebody else to hear the same thing. Do things in the right order. Come to Christ first and then worry about giving later. The rest of us, the question, where are we at? The self-observed owner, the obligated owner, the owner that says, I'll give God his 10%. Or the owner that says, it's all yours. What a challenge. Father, I, I wish I could say that I was in that blue circle. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I wanna get there, but I'm not. I still struggle with the pains of sin in my heart. The, the, the little arms of greed grab up all the time for whatever it is I'm wrestling with. But I'm actively trying to make you number one. I don't want to leave disappointed. I don't want to have sleepless nights thinking that this is meaningless and fruitless. I want to live for something that's more than this world. I want to live for a world to come. I want to believe your word and trust you that your ways are higher and your ways are better. Help us all do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David, for the challenging message today. Uh, if you're here with us and um, you're ready to take a step towards Jesus Christ, we want to be here for you. We want to be able to walk with you on your journey towards Jesus. Um, we have people at the welcome counter on the left-hand side of the lobby who are there to answer any questions, to pray with you, um, and help you uh, get started on your journey. If you're watching online, uh, you can go to campcc.net and click on Next Steps. There's a little form you fill out, and one of our pastors here at the church will get back to you because um, we really do want to be there. Um, and if God's doing something in your heart, we want to know about it. And I think that's a very good first step to take is, hey, let's tell someone what God's doing. And I know that no one's here by accident, and maybe you just are here checking this out, but God has you here for a purpose, and he's trying to reach out to you. All right, we're going to give back to God, and it's our privilege to do so as we worship him by giving tithes and offerings. We can do that three different ways campcc.net, click give. You can text them out. You want to donate to 84321, or you can put an offering in the offering box on your way out if you'd rather do that. Okay, um, before we watch the video, I want to let you know what happened last week at the middle school camp. Jacob Salas right here, our middle school pastor. Um, I know a lot of you uh, donated money to help scholarship kids and all that, and we were able to take 47 middle schoolers to Catalina with 15 staff, and we had three students who, in front of their peers, declared their uh, love for Jesus by being baptized. So, thanks. Thanks for your generosity to this church that enables us to continue to do ministries like that. 
All right, check out this video, what's coming up next. Hey, CamCC, I'm David Hurtado, your lead pastor here at CamCC. I'm so glad that you're here with us. And if you're here for your first, second, or even third time as a guest, we have some gifts for you as a thank you for hanging out with us. We'd love to be able to put a face with a name. So if you take your connection card and go to the welcome count in the lobby and present it to them, we can give you some gifts. And if you're watching online, you can go to camcc.net forward slash next steps and you can tell us about yourself as well. We also want to say if you're new to our church or new to church in general and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Same thing, go to the welcome count in the lobby, let them know that you're new and you'd like a Bible and we'd get you one. I'm so excited about this fall. It's a great season to invite someone to church with you, co-workers, neighbors, friends, family. Check us out and check us out online and maybe one day they'll be willing to sit next to you in church as well. Now let's check out what's happening at Camp CC. Listen, August 19th, middle school all-nighter event starting at 7 p.m. You can register at the door. Make sure you think about who you can invite and bring along with you. We are so excited about this and our new middle school pastor, Jacob Solis. If you want more information, you can certainly contact him at jacob at camcc.net. Hey, starting September 4th, we're in a new series called In the Works, where we're going to discuss our vision and values and really talk about what makes us unique as a church. You're not going to want to miss it. It'll be a great time to refresh our vision and our values of where we're headed. Hey, September 4th, we're starting our growth group sign-up. So they're kicking off on September 18th in the week of get connected, get to know others, growing your faith. It's just an eight-week commitment on your life. It's where we go family deep together. Really consider this season whether or not God's calling you to be in a group and maybe approach a new group for the first time. If you'd like more info on this, you can contact Jim Moyer at campcc.net. All right, calling all men on October 21st through the 23rd, we are having another men's retreat at the church. So Camp CC men, we'd love to invite you for a weekend away in Malibu, the hills of Malibu, where Rob Orham will be teaching us about biblical manhood. Plenty of downtime, outdoor activities, games, or just relaxing. You want to visit the men's table outside on the patio for more information on that. Hey, listen, and on the last note, I'm super excited about this. Uh, we are going to be sending out a letter, and it's really a letter from me to everyone in our church. It should be going out the first couple weeks of August. It'll reference something called the Welcome Project Initiative. It's a letter from me uh, stating how excited we are for the future of our church, where we might be going, and who might be coming because of what we do in this season. And I'm not allowed to say that much about it. In fact, I'm not supposed to spill the beans. So just expect a letter coming from me about the future of our church uh, on what can be done if God would give us favor. Be expecting that at your door in your mailbox soon. Stay in the loop on everything that's going on at Camp CC. Please consider following us on Instagram, liking us on Facebook, and you can even subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, please go to camcc.net. Something amazing from this message today that spoke to me was that the money, the wealth that we have here on earth, God uses that to push us towards what is eternally meaningful. That is just an amazing gift of our loving, provisional God. So remember, if you're a first, second, or third time guest, please go by the Welcome Center and get your gifts. And if you're watching us online, you can check out campcc.net slash next steps. If you haven't heard, we've opened an alternative video worship venue for those of, all, for those of you that love to worship with our church, but you just want to choose your own volume. So next week, be sure to invite someone new here on campus or online. And let's all today praise God for all that he's doing in our church and our community. See you next Sunday.